Well, as I said before, good morning and happy Father's Day to uh, each of the uh, men here. Our text today is going to be found in the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel, and um, we're going to start reading in chapter 11, so go ahead and be headed that direction if you would. 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we're going to read the whole chapter beginning in verse 1. And today we're going to look at um, the, the idea of being a man after God's own heart. And of course, this is not restricted just to men, it's not restricted just to, uh, to fathers, but it is for every believer. And we're going to look at one of the most uh, well-known and well-loved characters in all of Scripture. We're going to look at King David. Now, I want you to just think about King David for a moment and just, just think of two or three things about King David that you know. You don't say them out loud, but I want you to just think about them because I'm, I'm guessing that there are about five things that whenever I say think about King David, there are probably five things that you think of. Number one, you probably think of David as a shepherd. Anybody think of him as being a shepherd? When he was younger, he was a shepherd. When he was older, he was a king. That's probably the second thing you thought about. Number three, that he killed Goliath. Number four, that he sinned with Bathsheba. And number five, that scripture calls him a man after God's own heart. Did that, did that pretty well catch everything that you thought of? That is, that is really a summary of the life of David. And, and if you've grown up in church or maybe you've, you've been to... Uh, <clears throat> Sunday school and, and different things like that. If you've heard sermons on David, especially as he battled Goliath, you probably at some point have encountered this idea that you should see yourself as like David and, and, and God is going to slay the, the, the giants in your life and so on and so forth. And we like to think of ourselves as this heroic, um, uh, just, just champion like David. But the truth of the matter is, most of us are more like David with Bathsheba than David with Goliath. Because we are, we are very weak, we are prone to sin, and, and, and the problem with, with this idea of trying to put ourselves in the biblical story is the Bible was not written about us. Let me say that again. The Bible was not written about us. It was written to us, it was written for us, but it was not written about us. Paul says in, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, that these things happened to Israel as an example... And they were written for, <coughs> excuse me, for our instruction. Uh, the the second issue with this this idea of, of trying to see ourselves as as uh, being it, you know, like we're David and Goliath or all these problems that we have. Like I said, is is we're much more like David with Bathsheba than David with Goliath. And so in today's text, we are actually going to focus on David's sin with Bathsheba. And we're we're going to try and and figure out some things about being a man after God's own heart. <coughs> And like I said, it's not just for men, not just for fathers, but for each Christian. So if you've found this text, please go ahead and <coughs> excuse me, stand with me in honor of God's Word. We'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's a pretty lengthy passage. It says, Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab, that's, that's his general, and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, 
David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people in the state of the war. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and a present was sent from the, from the king was sent out after him. <coughs> but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all, his servant, all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. Now when they told David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come down from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat, uh, to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and by the life of your soul I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Stay here today also, and tomorrow I will let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that, next, that day and the next. Now David called, called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his bed with the Lord's servants. But he did not go down to his house. Now in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter saying, Place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. So it was as, so it was, as Joab kept watch on the city that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. The men of the city went out and fought against Joab, and some of the people among David's servants fell, and Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and reported to David all the events of the war. He charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling all the events of the war to the king, and if it happens that the king's wrath rises, and he says to you, Why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck down Abimelech, the son of Jeru- uh, Jer- the J name? Did not a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger departed and came and reported to David all that Job had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men prevailed against us and came out against us in the field, but we pressed them as far as the entrance of the gate. Moreover, the archers shot at your servants from the wall. So some of the, of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as, the, as well as another. Make your battle against the city stronger and overthrow it, and so encourage him. Now when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. Then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Thank you. you. May be seated. <clears throat> now, before we get our, ourselves into this text and begin making our way through it, I want to draw your attention to something that, that hopefully will create a little tension for you. Because we just got through reading about this terrible thing that David had done with, uh, with murdering a man, of taking his wife and committing adultery with her. But, but I want this tension to, to, to kind of shine in your heart. At the time of the judges, the people didn't have a king. They, they follow the judges, they, they go through the cycle of, of following God, then they'd rebel and, and they would be oppressed and, and God would send a judge and so forth. But after a while, after the time of the judges, they looked around the other nations, they saw everybody else has a king except for us. They, they, they all have a human king and we just have God. Like God was not enough. It was a theocracy. He was their king. But they didn't want that. They wanted a monarch. They wanted an earthly king. And so they said, we want a king. Give us a king. Give us a king. So finally, God appointed Saul to be king over Israel. 
Now, if you remember Saul, he was uh, he, he started out pretty good, but it didn't last very long. He began to disobey God. He began to rebel against Him and do his own thing, and 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 he he really displeased the Lord. And so, in an act of judgment, God removed Saul from the throne, and He sent word about this through His prophet Samuel. Uh, and 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 Samuel is one of the one of the uh, coolest guys in the Bible, I think. But he 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 sent word to Saul through Samuel, and here's what it says in First Samuel thirteen and verse fourteen. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought for, for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So David is said to be a man after God's own heart. But then on the other hand, we have this, this incident here where he has clearly sinned egregiously. He committed adultery. He conspired to have a man murdered. He, he, he did lots of bad stuff. And yet God says, that's a man after my own heart. So, so how, is, how, how are these two things going to live together? Because God didn't just see him as guilty of conspiring, as if that was one thing, but, but actually swinging the sword or shooting the bow was something different. He actually blamed David himself for the killing. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, the very next chapter in verse 9, he says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord, speaking to David, by doing evil in his sight? You have, you have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, you don't have to have a background in, in, in the Bible. You don't have to have a Ph.D. in biblical studies to know that these things are sin. He, 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 he murdered a man. He committed adultery with her wife. And yet God says, that's a man after my own heart. How can he say that? Well, hopefully, as we work our way through this text, it'll, it'll be more clear. Now, look back at chapter 11, verse 1. And when we take this story as a whole, I'm just going to hit on some of the high points because it is a lengthy passage. But look back at verse 1. It says, In the springtime, everybody's supposed to go out and fight each other, but David stayed in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to first notice that David was not where he was supposed to be. He was not where he was supposed to be. Now, in schools... If you've been in schools the last several years, you may have heard or may have seen, or maybe if you have a, a friend or a relative that's in the school system, you may have heard him use the language something similar to be where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. And that's a simple thing. We, we all understand that. You need to be where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's a simple thing, but it's not always an easy thing. Now, verse 1 says that it was springtime. That's the time that you go out and fight. Now, this is not, uh, the, the, the king's didn't get together and say, hey, when's the best time to, to slaughter one another? This is not, they didn't have, this, war is not an extracurricular activity. They didn't have a, a season for it like that. But rather, they had to work with the weather. And so in the wintertime, they had rain, so they couldn't go out and, and deal, with, deal with battle plans then. And, of course, the summer in the Middle East is quite hot. And so the spring was the best time to go out and do your military campaigns. And so, so that's when they were supposed to go out and fight. But I want you to notice, David didn't go out uh, to, to lead the army. He stayed in Jerusalem. And, and I want to pause here and make an application. We need to be mindful of where we are. We need to be mindful of where we are. Because if we're not where we're supposed to be, it's a lot easier to do what we're not supposed to be doing. Now, we need to make sure, for instance, that we're... We are where we're supposed to be when we're online. We can get in all kinds of stuff if you're not where you're supposed to be when you're online. We need to make sure that we are where we're supposed to be with our friends. We need to make sure that we are where we're supposed to be just physically. 
Now, temptation can come at any time, at any place. It doesn't even happen in church. But listen, there are some places it's a lot easier to get into sin than others. And we need to, we need to, we need to be mindful of where we are physically. Now, now I mentioned friends just a moment ago. <clears throat> we as Christians, Christian men included, need to be mindful of who we surround ourselves with. We need, and the older I get, the more I realize how important those people that are, are close to us, our friends, those, those confidants that we have, those people that, 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 that we spend time with, it, it amazes me how much influence they have in our lives, both good and bad. And, and one of the things that, that, that I wish that I would have known when I was younger is how choosy we should be whenever we pick our friends. We need to surround ourselves. We need to be mindful that we are where we're supposed to be when it comes to friends. We need to surround ourselves with people who are going to encourage us. Because doing the right thing is an uphill battle. We have all kinds of stuff trying to draw us down the, the, the wrong way, and that's a, downhill, that's a downhill thing. That's the easy thing to do. You, you don't have to struggle to sin. You have to struggle not to sin. And it's an uphill thing to do the right thing. But it's a lot easier when you have people around you who will, who will reach down and pull you up. They see that you're going off the wrong way. So they, they step into, into your life and say, hey, I, I have some concerns here. You might want to check this out. I don't think you're doing what's right. And then we can turn around and do the same thing to them. We can encourage them and prod them back to doing the right thing. And so David was not where he was supposed to be doing what he was, and he was doing what he was not supposed to be doing. And if you look, he's in the wrong place. But verse 2, he's up on the roof. Now, again, I've mentioned this before. The roofs were kind of like our patios. They, didn't have, they don't have a lot of rain, so they don't have sloped roofs. They don't have snow like we do and so they had flat roofs and they go up and they would they would recline up there they would rest and relax and so david is up there and something catches his eye it's a beautiful naked woman and he goes over and and, and he's he, he's enthralled by this woman and i think it's likely that david knew bathsheba before this and the reason i say that is if you'll notice it says that she is the daughter of eliam now that doesn't make a whole lot. That doesn't make any sense to us. That doesn't. That, that name doesn't ring a bell. But in the Old Testament, David had some counselors, and one of his most trusted counselors, he was well known, was a man by the name of Ahithophel. Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandpa. So it's it's likely, I think, just from that, that David had probably come across Bathsheba in the past. But Uriah the Hittite, her husband, now, now David, if, if you read through like Chronicles and stuff like that, you'll see that he had some mighty men. You remember them? They, I mean, these guys did amazing things. They were valiant. They were strong. They were courageous warriors. And there were 30 that were the mighty men. I mean, they were, they were the creme de la creme. They, they were the creme of the crop. They were, they were the dudes you don't mess with. And David had 30 of them. Uriah was one of the 30. So Uriah, no doubt at some point, had probably had Bathsheba there with him. And so David, I think, it's, it's safe to assume that he knew all about Bathsheba. He knew what was going on. He knew who this woman was. And so he, he, he sees her, he covets her, he sleeps with her. And, and we don't know if there's any hesitation on her part. The Bible doesn't record one way or the other. Either way, what they did was wrong. They, they commit adultery, and she ends up pregnant. But now what are they going to do? Because her husband is out on the battlefield, and she's pregnant. So now if she all of a sudden has a kid, it's going to be quite obvious that, that, that she has committed adultery, and the Old Testament law prescribed death to both parties, not just the woman, the man and the woman who are involved in the adultery. And so David says, I've got to come up with a plan. 
So here's his plan. I'm going to have Uriah come in on some leave. He's going to come in off the battlefield, and, and he can spend some time with his wife. He can spend some time at home and relax, and, and hopefully this will cover our misdeeds. And of course, we know the rest of the story. The plan fails, so he comes up with plan B, and he has Uriah murdered out on the battlefield. Terrible stuff. So now David has broken at least three of the Ten Commandments, 30%. He coveted, he committed adultery, and he committed murder. Three big, egregious sins. And yet the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. Again, how can this be? Because these things certainly do not please God. We see it, we see how this can be true of David in his response to a sin. Now I don't have the text up on the screen, but hopefully you have your Bible open Look over at chapter 12 and notice his response to his sin. Now, God sends a prophet by the name of Nathan to him. And Nathan tells a story about a, a rich man who has all kinds of sheep, has everything that he wants, and a poor man who just has a little ewe lamb and, and means so much to him and, and everything. And, and the rich man d- d- takes the, the, the ewe lamb and, and does all this stuff and, and kills it. And, and, and it gets David all, he, he is incensed at this rich man. And Nathan you remember the famous line says, you are the man. So, so David is confronted with his sin. God pronounces judgment and punishment for his sin. And look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Notice he doesn't say, well, I made a mistake. He doesn't say, it was bad what I did, but it was just a, it was just a little dalliance. I, I, I know I shouldn't have done it, but you don't understand the extenuating circumstances. He doesn't justify himself. He doesn't, he doesn't downplay his sin. He doesn't excuse his sin. He doesn't pass the buck. He says, I have sinned. He owns it. He repents of it. He, he doesn't try to blame somebody else. He recognizes his sin. He admits it. He repents. Now this week sometime, I'd like to encourage you to read Psalm 51. Psalm 51, because Psalm 51 is a, is a psalm that David wrote in response to his sin. And Psalm 51, he goes through, and, and I'll, I'll just kind of, if you're like me, my memory is terrible. It's worse than terrible. It's terrible. And I can't remember things very well. Psalm 51, just in case you don't remember this week, he, he cries out to God. He, he pleads with God for, for, for mercy. He pleads with God for, for cleansing. And it's here that we see how a man and a husband, a father, a Christian, whether it's a man or woman, can be a person after God's own heart. First, the first way we can do this, the first thing we see here is that we need to pursue God. We need to pursue God. Now, you may look at this and say, but David in chapter 11, the whole chapter is all about how he did not pursue God. But, but the overarching theme of his life is he pursued God. And what I mean is we need to follow hard after God. We need to chase after Him. We need to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. We need to make it the aim of our lives to live in accordance with His will. We need to try to please Him. Now, did David fail at that? Absolutely. Again, it was, this was big, blatant, egregious sin. But that wasn't the end of the story. Because he turned from his sin. He was restored in his relationship to God. And here, here's, here's an example of what every believer has experienced in your own life. The realization or the knowledge, the fact that you are both justified, you're right before God, and yet you're a sinner. 
And maybe you've maybe you've struggled with that. How can that? How, how can these things be? If I'm a, if I'm a true Christian, if I'm really born again, why am I still struggling in this area? We do that because God has made us. He's declared us not guilty. He's justified us. It, it's a it's a legal decision. He's made us. He said, "You are not guilty because Jesus' righteousness is credited to our account when we're saved." But yet we still live our daily lives in the flesh. We're still beset by, by weaknesses and temptations. And sometimes we mess up and we fail and, and, and we give in. And so there, there's justification where we're made right before God on, on the basis of what Jesus did. But then there's sanctification where the way that we're living starts to line up with our, our position before God. We are simultaneously justified we're simultaneously righteous and yet a sinner and 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 david was like this he 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 had a right standing before god but yet he still struggled with sin he he was still weak and he lost this battle of temptation and we're never going to be free of sin this side of heaven that should be our goal we should strive to sin less so first we need to follow after god we need to pursue him the second way that we can be a man or woman after god's own heart is not to fool around with somebody who's not your spouse. Now, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Don't fool around with somebody who's not your spouse. Now, God created physical intimacy to be enjoyed between one man and one woman in a monogamous marriage. Sexual activity outside of that is sinful. Now, that is not a popular message today. But you know what? God doesn't base right and wrong on what's popular. He doesn't base what's right and wrong on what's in vogue. Right and wrong is true and false. It's good and bad, regardless of what we think about it. Now, this is not just an Old Testament idea. In fact, God's Word makes it clear in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3 that we as Christians, that this is God's will for us. Sometimes people say, oh, I wish I knew what God's will for my life was. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. For this, is the, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. What does that look like? That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. In fact, persistently disobeying God in this area shows you should be concerned about your eternal soul. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, Paul says, or do, you, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Or in other words, these people are not going to heaven. Do not, be, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Now, what does this tell us? It tells us that, that regardless of what people profess with their lips, if their lives don't match it, that should cause some, some, some red flags to go up. That means there's a problem. It tells us that when we see these things in the life of another person, or if we see these things in our own life, that means that person is not acting, is not living like a Christian. They're living like an unsaved person. If that's a, a person's lifestyle, that is a huge red flag. Now, somebody just like uh, David, he was a true believer and yet he failed. There's a difference between a failure and a lifestyle. And, and, and the Bible tells us that, that if, if that is somebody's lifestyle, that's a huge red flag. Because Paul says those people will not go to heaven. 
they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, so the short version is, don't fool around with somebody that's not your spouse. And finally, I want you to see that there's forgiveness. There is forgiveness. You may have sinned in some egregious way. Maybe it's an open sin like David's. But maybe it's, it's more of a, a private sin that doesn't have an immediate tangible consequence like an unexpected pregnancy. Either way, the sin is still there. But whatever that sin is, it can be forgiven in Jesus. We see live down in the life of David. I mean, it, there, there were still consequences to his sin. But listen, he was a covetous, adulterous, murdering king. And God still forgave him. Now, earlier I said that, that, that I read the passage out of 1 Corinthians. Paul gives a list of people who would not go to heaven, who would not inherit the kingdom of God. But notice what he says. Such were some of you. He didn't say these, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. That sin is just too big. That sin is just too great. He said such were some of you. But you've been forgiven. You, you've, been, you've been changed. God found you in that condition, but he didn't leave you in that condition. He made a change in your heart. And listen, God can forgive a murderous, covetous, adulterous king, and he can forgive you. And if you've never done so, turn to Christ in repentance and faith and believe on the Lord Jesus for salvation. There, there's no sin that is, that is outside the scope of God's mercy. You say, well, you just don't understand. You don't know what I've done. You're right, but Jesus did. And as he hung there on the cross, he died for that sin. He died for my sin. If you'll turn from your sin and turn to Christ in faith, you will find him a welcoming, opening, forgiving Savior. This isn't just a word for for those who have have never trusted in Christ. There there may be some of us who are Christians, who are like David in the sense that we're a Christian, but we've got some sin in our life. Listen, confess that to God. Jesus said to to, to go and sin, not, not go and sin some more, go and sin no more. Accept that forgiveness. Accept that restoration of relationship and, and move on with your life. Draw near to him and what will happen? He'll draw near to you. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I want to encourage you to take stock of your life. Because these things that I said, this list of, of folks that would not inherit the kingdom of God, that, that's not my idea. I read it straight from Scripture. But the wonderful news of the gospel is no matter what your sin is, forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ. And today Jesus said that all who come to me, not most, not certain groups, all who come to me, if any come to me, I'll in no wise cast them out. You won't find Jesus refusing you if you turn to him.
As a Christian, we look at people like David. We look at people like Peter, who denied the Lord, whose faith wavered, he failed. There's forgiveness, there's restoration. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these examples that were not written about us, but boy, they're written to us and for us. And Lord, as we consider our own hearts, I pray that you would help each of us to deal honestly and openly with you and your spirit, that you search our hearts and convict us of our sins. And God, if there's somebody here who's never um, become a Christian, they've never believed on Jesus, I pray that you would draw them, that you would give them the, 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 the faith and the courage needed to trust you. Thank you, you don't just find us and leave us, but you find us and transform us. Lord, for those of us who are Christians, none of us is perfect. I'm certainly not, as you know, God. But thank you for your forgiveness. As we confess our sins, you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you reinstate us, and you use us, and you restore us. Lord, if there's anybody here who needs to make some decision for you, needs to get right with you, I pray that you would help them to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.